Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, we will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then, we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Welcome again to another episode of Love Your Diagnosis. I should add, I should add it in everyone really, that this show doesn't diagnose or prescribe anything. We just talk lived experience and that counts for a lot these days because not one person has the authority or ability to heal any other person. It is a holistic approach to being on this planet and living in joy. So we're not saying do this or do that. We're just talking to people about, and by we, I mean me, I'm just talking to people about how they navigated their way through being diagnosed with something and then, you know, finding their own way through it in or outside the Western medical uh, approach. Today, Dale Allen Rouse, he just stood out to me. Couldn't wait to interview him. He lives with dystonia. Uh, or ticks. Uh, we talk about whether ticks, Tourette's, and dystonia are all part of the same thing. I didn't know much about it until I spoke to him. I also got to see a YouTube clip, which the, all the information will be in the podcast, and I'll put a link to it into the notes, uh, where Dale is actually explaining what dystonia is, and in that, his face just kind of melts, and he's having a tick. And he doesn't stop. He just keeps going through it, which I really, you know, I, I really felt a lot of empathy and compassion for him and just respected so much. So we talk about his journey. It's, it's a pretty new one in the, I guess, the grand scheme of diagnoses. He's just working his way around 
dealing with it now and what that means. You know, it, it's only been a couple of years as opposed to someone like myself who's lived with epilepsy for 30 years. So he's still working his way around what he's doing, how he's doing it, how he's approaching it and, you know, how he's living environmentally and uh, shamanically because he's also a shamanic pr- practitioner, which we'll go into. Anyway, I'll shut up so we can get into the interview with Dale. It's a really cool one, so, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. Have a fabulous time listening. My name is Dale Allen Rouse, and my diagnosis was generalized dystonia in 2014. Now, you say generalized. Are there other types of dystonia? Oh, it's crazy. It's almost like for everything that moves weird that they don't have another name for, (laughs) they put it in the bucket of dystonia. And there is everything from fluttering of the eyes as a type of dystonia to writer's cramp. So all that type of, especially cramping type movement, is very dystonic. That's uh, the difference between, say, a tick, which is fast and percussive, versus like the world of dystonia, which is slow and crampy. So dystonia, what, when you break that word down, what does it actually mean? Well, when something is dystonic, it literally the translation is not in alignment. Okay. And this is all stemming from a neurological disorder. Correct. So it is in the top three of neurological movement disorders, you know, Parkinson's and MS being the top two, but dystonia being, you know, a close third. The only, you know, good news is that dystonia won't kill you where the others two can. And again, that's, that's part of my journey with this thing is leaning into the gratitude that I found because I honestly thought I had Parkinson's or MS. That's what you think when you start moving weird, right? You don't know there's this other bucket of weirdness (laughs) that they introduce you to uh, when you go see the neurologist and your movement is different. It's slow and cramping as opposed to showing more like Parkinson's, which is more like shaking and and things like that. Okay, so how old are you now, Dale? 52. Oh, you're in the 50s. Gen X, baby. Yeah, same. So were you born with anything like this or did this gradually increase over your life? So dystonia typically is genetic and my father had it. We didn't know he had it, but he had fluttering of the eyes. And that is a form of dystonia. It definitely runs in the family. Uh, Dystonia typically shows up around your 40s. For me, it started to show up as like a little tick in my neck. My head and neck would just involuntarily start, you know, moving. Just little shakes and, and things like this. But then it started to progress throughout the rest of my body. From my neck, it went into my hands. And then from my hands, and it kind of just started moving up my arms. Uh, And then it went into medicine. It kind of started in my extremities and then started moving inwards. As a male, because I don't want to box anyone into gender or type or anything like that, were you always into health? Like if things were going off with you, even with the cold, would you look into it straight away or would you kind of put it to the side and go, ah, it'll sort itself out? Yeah. So I was a performer for the majority of my younger life. Uh, I was on Broadway. I was a backup dancer for Celine Dion for many years and, you know, did crazy stuff. So I'm really super attuned to my body. My body is, you know, very near and dear to me, you know, is what I use as my instrument uh, for a large part of my life. And so I've always been tuned into it in that way. Whenever there's anything going wrong, of course, you know, I just jump in and, and check out to see what that's all about. 
So I was on it pretty quick, but the journey <laughs> that once you're put onto that path is not awesome. I just want to thank you for this platform so that people who have gone through the ringer, who've gone through the medical system can shed light on real possibilities and real action steps that you can take. Not this run around where you're like told one thing and then you're handed a medication and you don't know what's going on. It's been so frustrating for me. This is like since 2014, I have been on this path trying to cure myself, right? Everything from my spiritual life to changing my job to reduce my stress. You know, like what is the thing that's going to help me? Because I was offered really honestly no assistance at the neurologist or doctor's office. Oh, let's unpack that, Dale. This this excites <laughs> me. Let's get balls deep into this. <laughs> you looked into it at first. What were the kind of tests that they were running? And when you first got the ticks and stuff, did you get the normal EEGs and, you know, MRIs and things to look into your brain? Or did they kind of just put it to the side and go, oh, it'll pass? Yeah. Uh, it depends on where I went Cause, because I went everywhere. I went to Cedars, downtown Los Angeles. I was at, you know, several different uh, neurologists up and down the West Coast of the United States trying to really dig into this thing. And everywhere I turned, there was another bunch of nonsense, you know, everything from, you know, it'll just go away. It's all in your head um, to it's just stress. Uh, now, nobody didn't say it wasn't dystonia. They were all like, oh, yeah, you have dystonia. But then what do you do with that? Because there's no cure. The only thing you can do is manage symptoms. And the best way they do that is shoot you up with Botox in order to whatever's contracting or twitching just to deaden it. Well, when it's everywhere, that's not an option. I looked into all of that, the optional treatments. We'll get into the Botox talk in a sec, but it's kind of good in a way that there's not all these masses of medications that they can give you. That in itself it's kind of like a gift because yeah. then you're not dealing with all the shit that comes with that. If anybody can hear my voice, do not ever, ever, ever go on brain meds and antidepressants at the same time. I don't know why doctors don't know that antidepressants often cause movement disorders. I mean, tardive dyskinesia is like a whole new, you know, dis disorder unto itself brought up from these powerful brain meds. I went through that whole process of getting on meds and then trying different meds. And there's a big difference between different and better. <laughs> None of them made me feel better. All of them made me feel different and different in a way that I wasn't comfortable with because I was either fuzzy headed or just sleepy. They try and dumb down the ticks and the movement by dumbing down your entire system. Well, like I'm a you know high performing individual. I can't have my entire system turned down. And so it wasn't until I stopped all the medications that I felt like I could start to excavate how I was doing. How long were you on meds for before you realized this? Pretty much right away, I was on meds from 2014 till we moved up here to the ranch, which was, uh, you know, like a year ago. Oh, so you've just recently weaned yourself off. Yeah, okay. I, I take nothing now, nothing. And how often then, because your YouTube clip, and for anyone listening, I will put the link up to this clip, you were just going to do a normal YouTube clip, as you do for people educating and advocating. And you ended up having a full dystonia experience and you kept filming. So how often are they happening off the meds? 
I deal with this thing every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get a break. You know, you know, like every day there's some form of it. Now, you know, an easy day is just kind of ticks and Tourette's, like because dystonia is all in the tick family. And so you get you get ticks, you get dystonia, you get you know all kinds of Tourette's, like just the whole gamut. So it's managing. So now off the meds, it's a big commitment to go. Okay, I want to be free of this, but it's now going to take a full time commitment to managing this. Are you finding that you can manage them and you know kind of when they're going to come, or is it all a bit random? That's a great question. So for me, and and for everybody, it's a bit different. But for me, I can feel them coming on. It's never like I just drop. It like it's uh, you can feel it coming on. I can feel my brain because it is a neurological movement disorder, right? So when you're seeing me look um, severely impaired, that's a that's a brain impairment. Even though my hands will be cramping and I'll you know be moving all weird and you know things like this, but it, it's it's nothing wrong with my body. It's a brain disorder. And the the channels just, you know, just start to, you know, freak out or whatever. And you uh, can so. feel that happening. And and what I noticed also in the, um, which was like completely incredible to me and how, and it also exp- expresses how amazing our brain is, that you were still talking like yeah. normal, but your mm-hmm. body, because the signals to certain parts of your body was, was trapped or, or blocked. Yeah. You were still talking like you, we were talking are talking now, but your body and your and the way your limbs and things like distorted was just yeah. was in, it was quite incredible. So you're consciously knowing that that your body's being taken over by these electrical blocks. Yeah, it is a very, and it's something I really detail because it's so um, bizarre. It's almost something like out of a Stephen King novel to watch someone go through a full neurological storm. Dystonia kind of happens in the body or in the brain or both, right? So sometimes I'll just have the physical stuff and my hands will be cramping up and my spine will be kind of twisting and I'm just kind of locked up. The other name for dystonia is a stiff person syndrome. So you lose all the fluidity in your body. Your hands start to cramp up and twist and you just feel like a a pile of rocks. Like you don't have any ability to move. You can move with great effort, but there's no fluidity in your body again. That's the physical part. But then you have a neurological storm on top of that. And I can sometimes like just be reduced to basically just a writhing nonverbal mess. That only happens about once a month when I'm really tired or really stressed, you know, and I find that I can manage that pretty well. Every day is just a little different. And some days it's just the physical stuff. Other days I'm kind of just having a a low grade storm. And that's actually the hardest because my brain is not functioning. And that can be really tricky because it's um, stimuli gets really uh, intense. Like I just want to be in a dark, you know, room where there's like no stimuli at all. It just, it becomes overwhelming. And it quite frankly, it becomes terrifying. Like all of the information that's coming at you um, gets really scary for some reason when you're in a storm. So how do you manage those episodes now? I've only found one thing that actually unrolls me when I'm cramping up and becoming a nonverbal. I'll actually lose my ability to access the English language and just like um, nonsense will come out. The only thing that I've found that will actually unwind me from that place is marijuana. And there's only one strain that does it. This is what makes me actually angry. <laughs> There's not a lot of things in this world that, uh, that can get me to that place. But what makes me angry is that 
I couldn't find a solution like that at any pharmacy that I had to go onto the streets. And that's where I found it from this guy who was uh, an illegal weed dealer. He uh, had been doing it for 20 years in Los Angeles. And he knew so much about medical marijuana. I'm like, okay, show me. And he was like, this is what you need. And sure enough, I took it home and I smoked it when I was having a problem and it unrolled me. It relaxed me. It gave me my body back in a way that no, I mean, nothing, 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 nothing that they ever even approximated in a doctor's office. And that's what makes me upset. Like, why do I have to find this stuff out on my own on the street rather than like actually get help at a pharmacy or from a doctor. Why do these people not know anything? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting point. And the fact is that it takes people like you to take this strain to the doctors and say, hey, I'm, I'm a patient with this because doctors don't have the things that they're treating, you know. And up until maybe more recently, doctors haven't been listening to patients. They've just been going, I can help you with this knowledge that I've spent years training with. But the fact mm-hmm. is they don't have the crucial knowledge of lived experience. Have you taken the strain to a doctor or to a, to a pharmacy and gone, hey, this is really good for dystonia and, uh, you know, a type of? Yeah, I have tried to get the word out. By the way, the strain is called Skywalker OG. Awesome. And it's one of the original strains that uh, they had back in the day that many of the today's, you know, kind of strains come from. So Skywalker OG is what they gave to his patients with Parkinson's. And he was like, you say that you, what you have is in the same family as Parkinson's, at least give this a shot. You have to be careful because like overdosing, it will be more problematic or using other strains can be more problematic. You have to be really careful and aware and sensitive to what you're actually doing and what's helping versus harming because there are other strains that will make my dystonia far worse. And I only reserve it for when I'm having a really bad day. I also always have it in the car because like if I feel something coming on, I know if I smoke that, I'll get another 20 minutes before the attack really sets in. So at least it gives me a little buffer to get to a safe place. That's great. Now, can I just hear you sing A Whole New World? <laughs> a Whole New World. Oh, my God. Okay, great. Because you said you've danced for Celine Dion. Okay, so you were saying that you had quite a... Uh, sordid past when we were having a bit of a chat. And do you think this um, involuntary movement disorder is genetic or do you think it was from lifestyle choices and practices and, you know, a little bit like all of us, you know, the, the abuse that we put our bodies through in our younger years, not all of us, but, you know, those that were taken by the allure (laughs) of the naughty side. I think it's probably both. I mean, I definitely genetically predisposed to it. We know that as a fact. So there's that. But then on top of it, there may have been some life choices that, you know, may have made it worse. I don't think so. I mean, I I partied in my 20s, just like everybody else did. You know, I was traveling the world and performing. It was like a pretty good life. But I think more than anything, what turned it from like a flame to an inferno was a lot of the childhood trauma and uh, trauma that I've lived through. Uh, I grew up in a very, very, very toxic and homophobic environment. And I, I honestly feel like by the time I was an adult, my entire nervous system was just shot and fried, you know, and I, I really feel like that 
more than anything contributed again from from taking it from a small thing like my father had, you know, just fluttering of the eyes to it becoming more global and generalized. Has any professional backed you up in with this point? Is this you just making kind of like your own assumptions about it all? It's more the latter, just listening to myself. And this is one part that I definitely want to get to about this as well. Dystonia has been the greatest teacher for me. I don't regret or in any way wish my life was different. My life is perfect. My life has been delivered to me with what I need in order to get to where I'm going. So I always want to make sure that I talk about the upside of dystonia, right? Because it's really easy to talk about, oh, this is terrible and whatever. There's a lot of the reason why I can't hang out like in the dystonia support groups and stuff. Because those people really identify as sick. I will never identify as sick. Yeah, I got a few challenges. Sometimes I, you know, move weird or talk weird. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, I'm just out there living my life the same that I have all the time. However, it wasn't until I really got off the meds and stuff like that and really, like, took my life back that I really feel like we started to move forward with my actual healing. Is it exhausting for you having to manage this day to day on some level? Yeah. How do you talk yourself out of the, oh, fuck it, I'll just go back on the pills. This is all too hard. Well, and it's also, oh, fuck it, I'll just go back and, you know, go and get, you know, come some kind of government services and not have a job because having a job, just trying to be somewhere at a certain time is difficult. And yes, there's days I wake up and I am exhausted before the day even starts. You know, you don't have a choice. You look for what you need, the lesson, the gratitude. What is this bringing you? I always try and stay in curiosity and out of judgment. What is this? What is this bringing to me? Why is this here? This is delivered, I believe, from, you know, a higher source to teach me something. And it's why my book Foreign to Me was such, like, it was such a turning point for me because I was able to unearth all the gifts that were delivered along with this diagnosis. My husband and I were so close. We're so much closer because of this, you know? And yeah, there's times he has to feed me or help me get dressed and, you know, stuff like that, like real dense life stuff. But the gems that are in there for my relationship or not nothing you know we're so close i depend on him for everything and he just i tell you that man just loves me every day and he never complains and it's, it's awesome to watch the man he needs for nothing it's amazing yeah it's great that you found someone to stand by did you meet before this happened and and he's he's now journeying through this with you when we met, I didn't have dystonia. I mean, we met in 2011 and I was diagnosed in 2014. Right. So he stuck with you through all of this. Yeah. I'm going to ask a personal question and feel free not to answer. But have these episodes, any any of the tics, Tourette's or any of the dystonic experiences, has that ever happened during intimacy, sex? <laughs> yes, actually. In, in fact, sometimes when I'm actually having issues, my husband's will, will uh, actually make moves on me because I get really lost in a storm and I can't focus or function. And so sometimes when he does things either to make me laugh or to be sexual or things like this, he can kind of you know, bring me back a little bit. So we have, you know, had to play through all of that. And it's just part of our lives. And, you know, we make fun of it, we make light of it, but we also, you know, take it seriously. And it's just, I don't know, it's just part of our lives. So you say you've got tics, Tourette's, and you have dystonia. Do people with Tourette's also have dystonia? Or is it just that you've got all of those things? Or do they all, are they all part of the same thing? They are all part of the same thing. So they all come under the umbrella of a tick, right? which is involuntary movement. 
but there's all kinds of ticks. So there's vocal ticks, which can be Tourette's, which can be words, but vocal ticks can also be sounds and noises. Like I do a popping sound, kind of, kind of weird sound with my tongue involuntarily. That's a vocal tick, even though it's done with the tongue rather than not the vocal cords. So anything made with the mouth is a vocal tick. Then you have movement, like motor ticks, which is movement. But then on top of that, you have dystonia, which is slow cramping as opposed to the tick, which is a fast twitch, right? So it's a whole broad spectrum of movement from slow to fast. Right. But you identify more with dystonia than Tourette's. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I call it all the same thing, but because it kind of comes all under the same uh, bucket, but my vocal tics and Tourette's are actually worse than my movement disorder now, but that's because I've really been working on it. I found ways to really work with the movement stuff. I haven't found a way to alleviate the vocal stuff yet. Now, what's stopping you from having something right now, you know, or is it like if it happens, it happens? So you can't just go, oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take this half an hour without it, can you? No. And I, again, like I'm, I'm kind of ticking and moving back here, but, you know, people don't even, in fact, most of the time people don't even know that I have something because my ticks are fairly subtle. It's a lot of eye cramping and moving and face, you know, stuff, but, you know, they just think I'm weird. <laughs> they don't know if I have anything wrong with me or I have something in my eye or something. I don't know. <laughs> Like I say, the big stuff I can feel coming on and then I just, I need to go and lay down or, you know, stuff like that. I always have kind of a warning with that. But uh, the other stuff, like <laughs> I was in an office meeting on Zoom and I didn't realize my mic was open and I was having Tourette's and I was swearing like repeatedly <laughs> in an office meeting. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I have Tourette's. I don't know if they believe me or not, but I do. Oh, that is absolutely gold. I'm so glad. I really want to laugh at that. Is that all right? <laughs> yes, <Can> please. <laughs> because, you know, you have to, and my husband and I, we, we make light of it. It's just, it is part of our life and we can't be, we can't be sad about it. You know, all the time it just is. So are there lifestyle changes that you've had to make since you've got off the medication? Yes. I really have focused my entire attention in a different direction. Everything from where I work, what I'm doing, how much stress I'm putting myself under. I mean, I don't think we give enough attention to the poison that stress is. Making those lifestyle choices, but also really focusing on my own personal happiness and making that a priority prioritizing joy in my life, right? And really lifting myself and every day working at that and making sure that I understand that my mental health along with this thing has to be in the forefront of my life. I can't put dystonia, right, in the forefront of my life if I'm not putting my mental health because there's a lot there, right? You don't go down the path of dealing in your own longevity and all the issues that come along with, you know, being human. Um, you know, you don't go down the path where, where all of that gets challenged and not be challenged mentally speaking. It seems to be the key to any diagnosis really that I've spoken to a lot of people now, and it is just the forefront of everyone's lifestyle changes that they're, that they're doing. So you're also a shamanic practitioner. It says that on your, uh, you know, when you look you up. What does that mean, firstly, to you? So my faith practice is shamanism. So I am a shamanic practitioner is the name for someone who studies or uses shamanism as their faith. 
So there's a lot of, I guess, skepticism around that word for white people. How do you combat that? And why have you chosen that when there's so much skepticism around? So it is a beautiful practice. It is a beautiful faith to observe. And I think it would be a shame to have such a a beautiful tradition be limited to certain people with a certain skin color. As a people, we're trying to get away from those, uh, that type of uh, language rather than, you know, move towards it. And are you studying with shamans? So, yes. So I went to a school with a bunch of white people, (laughs) a shaman school, (laughs) and we observe and study the traditions of, you know, the First Nations indigenous people who lived here on this land. And we always give respect and honor to them and what they bring to the table in terms of their ancestors, in terms of their knowledge, right? Like they are the leaders and we're just, you know, the white people hanging out in the background, like just wanting to know and understand, like teach us. And there are different ways to do shamanism, obviously, depending on the tribe that you study with. However, there's also something called core shamanism, which is just basically the core principles taken from all the different tribes around the world and kind of created a basic package of what is shamanism. And what is shamanism? The definition of a shaman is a doctor of the soul. But what is the soul? Where is the soul? What is the soul comprised of, right? And that's what we focus on. And that's what we pay attention to in order to heal ourselves by healing our soul. So at this stage, are you doing this work for you to heal? Or are you doing it to actually take it out into the public and help people with dystonia or other conditions? So how I was actually led to it was through my books. And this is kind of a crazy tale in and of itself. So when COVID hit, I was like, okay, I've always thought I have a book in me. I've got been, you know, really working with a lot of my PTSD trauma stuff from my background. I'm just going to sit down and write my trauma journal. (laughs) Like that'll be fun. Um, I've written seven books in the last year, right? And I'm only able to do that because I channel my books. I don't write them. And that's what I was tapping into when I first sat down. It was like uncapping a fountain. It was so crazy. Like I couldn't stop from sunup to sundown. It was just like typing as fast as I could while crying. (laughs) My husband makes so much fun of me because when I write, um, I, I cry and I type as fast as my little fingers will go because the information that's coming to me is, is so fleeting, right? And like I have to get it down onto paper anyhow. So that's what actually led me to shamanism was these books, this voice in my head that was like, you got to check this out. And so it was, it was, that's where I found it. Actually, that was where I was led to it. So I actually wrote a bunch of books on shamanism before I even took a sing, single class. And when I was done with it, I took my books to this guy who has his doctorate in shamanism. And so he checked it out. He's like, this is core shamanism, like through and through, like you have it down. I was like, well, I don't know how I know this, but anyways, so that's where my book started from. And that's where I, that's how I ended up in a shaman school. <laughs> Yeah. And so I guess you don't know where it's going to lead you. You're just doing it. Yeah. I mean, I really started doing it kind of as a research for my books, um, because in my story and in my life, a lot of my family was um, indigenous and lived on a reservation back in British Columbia. And so I have, you know, an uh, uncle who's full blood First Nations and two cousins who are raised on the reservation and they appear in my books. 
And they were always super interesting to me because I was being raised in this very punitive Christian environment where I didn't fit in as a queer person at all. But my cousins were being raised on a reservation with shamanism that really piqued my curiosity as a young person. So maybe that's just where it comes from. I'm not sure. Are you ever embarrassed when these things happen in public? I used to be. You kind of adjust and you find ways to you know, kind of either cover it or... I always carried a lot of embarrassment and shame around like having the pre-seizure stuff and and even seizures in public. So I hid it a lot, but you kind of don't have that luxury in in a sense. So how do you combat the embarrassment? Honestly... I am just getting over that now. And uh, my husband and I went on a cruise this last year. It really pointed out how much I had been staying home, right? Ever since COVID, it just got really easy to stay home, right? And I could work from home and I was just always at home. And I, it wasn't until we went on the cruise that I realized how much I had kind of just locked myself at home because I was embarrassed over it. And I wasn't showing up for work in the same way because I know that later in the day, it's going to get worse. As my brain gets tired, it gets worse. And so I just know that I'm better in the mornings. And so I always try and just plan my day, my life in the mornings. But then, you know, I wasn't leading a full life. I wasn't meeting friends. I wasn't going out for dinner. Nothing in the afternoon, nothing in the later part of the day. But I'm really trying to change that now. But it's taken a concerted effort. And I was surprised at how it just kind of creeped in this like isolation, all stemming from embarrassment over what I look like in public. When you are different, and you would know this on many levels, even being gay, you know, like that is one of the things that you have to navigate in a social situation. It is a bit of a journey with this. It's something that I still haven't got over with the epilepsy, and this has been decades and decades. I still carry this embarrassment about about it, which may, may be lifelong, and I'm not going to give myself a hard time about that. So it's it's nice to hear that that you're starting to combat that and come out and not let it affect how you socialize and and be with people. I think just letting people know so that they're prepared, then it's not a shock. That's what I, because I used to hide it. So it was always a shock for them. You know what? That's it right there. What you just said, that's so important. Bringing everyone along on the journey with you. So it's not a shock when it happens. It's like that video that I made for my friends and family to see what I look like when I'm in a really deep neurological storm so that they they have a sense of what might happen and how to respond appropriately. Now, I'm so blessed in that, you know, John is generally there, uh, especially in social settings and something. Like, he just he just knows what to do. He just knows. He just steps in and, and, and gets me right, gets me to the car, whatever we need to do. Um, and it's, so it's, I at least have that, you know, as a quote unquote crutch, you know, to get me through. What advice would you give to people with dystonia that are listening, that are just maybe coming into their journey with it? That is a really great question. And I wish that I had some answers when I first started down this path. In terms of like medical support and medical answers, I just kept running into brick walls. So going into it, if you're new to this, understand that that's normal, that you are on this path to discover for yourself what's right for you. And you got to just listen to yourself, like really in a new way. Like what feels right? Like gut check everything. Ask your gut. Your gut knows whether you should be doing that or not. And it wasn't until I really took control of everything. I mean, everything, every thought, everything that I put myself into, 
everything I sign up for, you know, all of my friends, like my relationships, like you got to really, you know, it's a wholesale life change if you really want to uh, manage this thing um, in a more holistic way without, you know, just defaulting to meds and things. Have you gone down the path of what foods trigger your brain into ticking more than others? Have you, have you kept a food journal? I haven't with food. I know that certain things like alcohol will definitely, you know, set me off. Not that I completely stopped drinking. I just know that when, <laughs> when I'm going to have a drink, I might need my walker. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess there's always avenues, you know, and, and it's a journey. So you're just starting a journey off meds now. You've got the rest of your life to go and figure out how to, you know, maybe manage these ticks in different ways. So well done to you. Thank you for being so public about it and for wanting to advocate and educate around it. Are there doctors that are around you that you could recommend for people? You know, I, I, I hate to say this, but I gave up on medicine probably, probably a couple of years ago. And I don't know that that's the right move for everybody, but for me and where I am right now with this thing, I am happier um, not pursuing it through medical avenues, but really leaning into holistic um, options and listening to myself and lifestyle changes. All right. Well, congratulations on your book, Foreign to Me, which is an autobiography. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Dale. What a pleasure to meet you and to, to see your journey. Thank you so much. If you would like to donate to the, the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit the PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means pe- more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva. 